Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Okay, um, we're starting this new series, First and Second Samuel, for the next five weeks called Unstuck. And uh, we're looking at different characters throughout these books. Um, they're, uh, you know, as we say, stories within a story. There's lots of them. And uh, what I love about these characters, and we're going to be looking at more or less Hannah giving birth to Samuel today. Uh, boy, God just doesn't hold anything back. He just lays it out in the scripture. All the broken pieces, the stretching, the messy stuff, the... Uh, the realness, it's just, it's just so raw and real. I just see, I read this stuff and I go, God, you're really secure. Like you just put it out there. You got the, these are the people that you are using and uh, it just doesn't bother you a bit that they brought a complaint before you, that they were obviously upset and that they were grieving and that they had hard times. And boy, it's, it's really something which you can see in these characters. So it's going to be a great journey for us. Uh, and we're calling this first one, stretched thin. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in life where your life is just stretched thin. No move, no movement, no way forward, no way back. You just feel stuck in that place and you don't know what to do. You know, it's in the stretch is where we grow. It's that stretch that athletes must participate in for them to go to the next level in their ability. And it's the stretch of life that a lot of the times you and I find ourselves that gets real messy, doubts come in, we feel like it's just immovable, I can't get through, it's a roadblock, we don't know what to do, and we just slug it out, right? Well, this is kind of what you see. I'm going to set this up, first of all, in 1 Samuel, what you have here is it takes place during the time of the judges. Now, the theme of judges really is every man did what was right in his own eyes, right? That's kind of just what they did. And in Israel, you know, they would fall away from the Lord and then uh, they would serve the gods of the world, the, the heathen nations around. They'd go in the moral decline. And then as a result of their disobedience and their rebellion, it led into oppression and domination from heathen nations. But in their distress, they would always cry out to God, which is the right thing to do. And if you're ever in that place of distress or you feel like you've really blown it, do what they did, cry out to God. Just run to God. That's what you do. But as a result of their disobedience and rebellion and oppression, uh, going through this cycle, God would send a deliverer and he would deliver them. Of course, that deliverer would pass and then they would fall back into their patterns of self-destruction. And uh, this was a vicious circle, but it kind of gives you the backdrop of 1 Samuel here. And uh, um, not only that, but what you see here right in the first two chapters is the corruption of the priesthood. I mean, it's really bad. Eli is the priest, high priest at the time, and he's basically off his rocker. He's apathetic. He's callous. He's not hearing from God. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, their uh, Bible says they didn't even know the Lord. And they're, they're abusing the sacrificial system. They're sleeping with women at the temple gates. I mean, these guys were utter knuckleheads, just idiots, no fear of God. And on top of that, Eli, their dad, was doing nothing about it. He didn't do anything about it. He was just, uh, you know, removed from the whole thing and, and uh, did, 
didn't stop them. And that's kind of what you see in the first couple chapters. So there's a lot, not a lot of really good things going on. You know, it's interesting, you look and, and you find in scriptures parallels of what life is like today, even where we live. Uh, because, you know, the day, days of judges, every man's doing right what was in his own eyes. And, and if you look at society today, it's a mess. Uh, it's, there's parts of society that's just hemorrhaging. You know, I, I, if you're like me, you look at things that's going on and you scratch your head and you go, this is complete and utter insanity. How could people do this kind of stuff? You ever, is it just me? You're with me, right? You, you see stuff and you read stuff and you go, these, this is ludicrous. What are these people thinking? And, and this is what you have going on. You've got uh, 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 corruption in politics. It's just at all-time high. You've got hypocrisy in the justice system. It's just mind-blowing. You've got confusion in the culture concerning and perversion concerning gender identity that's going on, as well as in the church. There are denominations that have embraced, they've forsaken the word, the Bible, they've forsaken it altogether, and have outright embraced sinful behavior and perversion in their leaders, sanctioning perversion from the pulpit of all places. And it's maddening when you see this stuff. No fear of God. And... Uh, People are doing this today, thank you, but people are doing this today. They're still promoting and celebrating their sin in the streets with parades. You see this kind of stuff marching down the street and all this junk going, and you just go, what in God's name is going on around here? What, what you're happen, what's happening? <laughs> but Well, let me give you the bright side. You know this is true as well. God always has a remnant. God always has a people that fear him and that follow him, and that will not bend when the pressure's on. But they will stay the course, and they will not relent, but they will pursue God through it all and follow the Lord. And you see that today. As a matter of fact, I think there's much more of that today than we know of. What we're seeing today is this clear line of demarcation. You have those that are running hard after God. They're saying, God, you're the only answer, and we are not going to relent until we see something happen from heaven. Lord, you're going to save us. You're going to deliver us. You're going to do something here. You know, I mean, the, the wheat become, the grass becomes so dry at some point that finally just takes a spark for something to ignite of God. And on the other spectrum, though, you have those that are running as fast and as hard as they can into, head, into sin and perversion and everything else. I mean, they are just sprinting in that direction. So you've got this groundswell of, of, of both opposite spectrums here and boiling points and it's just incredible and, and it's just getting more intense but what you see here in this first chapter is you meet a man from the hill country of Ephraim his name is Elkanah and, and right away you sense he's one of the few that are following God he loves God he's a good man He's a good man. He's one of those that are, that are, he goes to Shiloh and he goes to the tabernacle, right? And he, every year he brings an offering and a sacrifice to honor the Lord his God. It also says he has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Now, whenever you read scripture that somebody has two wives, uh, you can predict that there's probably going to be some trouble on the home front. Um, you, you know, for him, anyway, he's, he's going to have to be a quick study on uh, cultivating healthy relationships with two very complex individuals. And the men are, not, the men are just kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, you're like, yeah, I, I get it. Okay, so we won't go any further there. But this is exactly what you read in Scripture. Panetta had, you know, she had some children, Hannah did not. 
Now, Elkanah married Hannah, looks like first of all, loved her very much, it says. But she had no children, so he marries Penanah, probably so he could have children, because back then it was important to have kids. You know, they would carry on your name, and you, they would get your land and inheritance and all that, and so it was a pretty big deal. But for Hannah not having children in that culture and society, let me tell you, that was not good. She was blamed. It was like, she, there must have been something wrong with her. You did something wrong to offend God. You were accursed. What did you do? You know, so they're looked down on, they're ostracized. They're thought of as, you know, less than because, oh, you ticked God off somehow. And the, the, the truth is, she didn't. She was a godly woman who did nothing wrong. Um, but in the scheme of things, and what God was doing, he was up to something that people just didn't understand. And that's kind of how it is usually, isn't it? You kind of scratch your head, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but this is kind of, I don't know, I'm just going to trust you. And he was up to something. She was a godly woman. She didn't do anything wrong. But this is what she's under. This is the pressure she's under. And Elkanah loved Hannah, and, which made the other gal, Penina, really, I guess that's how you say her name. I don't know. She, anyway, she was just jealous. She was really jealous. So the drama unfolds. Right? Penina has children, and, uh, and, and Hannah was barren, and so um, she, she Penina would... would uh, torment her in a sense. It was very hurtful. She provoked her. So you're talking insult to injury, right? They're very cruel. So this irritation and conflict and drama just continues to unfold. Now I'm going to read the verses 2 through 20 so we can get this whole picture here and bring it together here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Okay, it says, and speaking of Elkanah, he had two wives and named one Hannah the one was named Hannah and the other named Peninnah. And Peninnah had children and Hannah had no children. And this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now these were the corrupt guys and they were later judged. They were grown men who knew better. It says, and whenever the time came that Elkanah went up uh, to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and and all her sons and daughters. And this is really a beautiful picture of what they did. Portion of the offering going to the Lord, and the rest you would break fellowship, you would have fellowship and, and eat with family, and, and it was really a, a neat picture of what God would do in, in the family. And so it goes on to say, but Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, her rival was provoking her severely to make her miserable. Because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. So you can see the distress she was under. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Yeah, this guy obviously feels pretty good about himself. I mean, I could see her kind of rolling her eyes going, give me a break. <laughs> Ten sons? Okay. Um, anyway, so Hannah arose after that, and she had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting 
on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And so she was in bitterness of soul, and she's praying to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she makes a vow, and she says, O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on your affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall be come upon his head. And it happened that she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah, uh, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. Well, it shows you how far off base Eli was at this point. I mean, here's a godly woman, he's accusing her of being drunk. No discernment at all, just out there. I, I, just, I just read that and I think, somebody slap him. Yeah, come on. Anyway, he was the high priest though, right? Okay, this is the condition of the life in there in their temple and what was going on. So anyway, so um, he accuses her of uh, intoxicating, being intoxicated. Uh, so Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman sorrowful in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicated drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. She's had enough of that, right? She's had enough of that. For out of the abundance of my complaint, notice she's bringing her complaint before God. Has anybody ever complained to God, brought your complaint before him? It happens. You're seeing it right here. She brings it before him in her grief. She says, I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition to you. Maybe he's feeling a little guilty at this point and ask that you've asked of him. And she said, well, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. And then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. So it has a happy ending. How many like happy endings? Yeah, we all do. It happens. But what do you do when you find yourself in that situation? What do you do? Because here you get a glimpse. You get a glimpse of, of someone facing an irreversible situation, an impossible situation, an impassable situation, a major roadblock. No way forward. What do you do? What do you do when life seems barren in its prospects for you? When it seems lifeless or hopeless because of your own difficult circumstances? I have no doubt we could all probably stand up and talk about some area or time in our life or season when we went through that ourselves. But I'm just going to look at two things from this passage that are right there in Scripture for us to glean from so that you and I can know some really practical things that you were called to do and when you're caught in this situation, when you feel like you are stretched thin. And barrenness seems permanent. Whatever that is in your situation, irreversible. Hannah's not just having a bad day. See, she's having a bad life. This barrenness and disdain that she's under, looked down on, you're not worthy, you're cursed, you know, you're messed up, you know, ridiculed by her family even, family members, no escape, no relief, no hope. This is a big deal, and you feel it. Let me tell you, first thing you see right from Scripture, this is the first thing you do. You tell God exactly how you feel. 
Just tell them how you feel. You know, a lot of people, you'd be surprised, never take that step. Here she was, she was bitterness of soul, prayed to the Lord, wept in anguish. It says she continued to pray. Eli's watching her. Her mouth is moving. She spoke from her heart. Her lips are moving. Voice is not heard. I mean, she is at the depths of despair. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you no longer know how even to articulate your grief or your stress or your despair, your feelings? Inwardly, you're since like you're, you're, you're crying out, and, and you, but your emotions and your pain and where you're at just seems to have lost its voice. You ever been there? You don't even know what to say. You just stand before God, you know, you just kind of groan. That's where you start. That's where you start. You stand there and you, you take that impossible, impassable situation and you, you tell God exactly how you feel. You don't tell him how you think you ought to feel. You don't tell him how you should feel. You don't tell him what you feel like you would be right to feel. You just simply tell him exactly, actually how you feel. That's what Hannah did. She's weeping in anguish. She's, she doesn't need an interpreter at that point, and neither do you, to, for God to understand you. He clearly understands through your emotion, where you're at. You're communicating all right. And maybe you've had seasons like that. And maybe you're there now. Maybe all you can do is weep. You know what we call that? Somebody coined this a long time ago. I think it was one of those saints, amazing people that are dead. Liquid prayer. Liquid prayer. It's when the, your, the depths of your gut, I mean, the depths of your emotions are breaking forth. That's a deep place to go, and it's just coming out. It's just a substance in you that just says, God, this is all I got. Let me tell you, that's powerful stuff. Never, never underestimate the power of liquid prayer. It sounds like there's a riot going on out there. <laughs> Are our kids having an uprising? Liquid prayer, it's, it's a powerful point. It's, it's some place I would encourage you to go at times because God understands and comprehends those moments in what you're saying. Now, um, God listens to you at that moment. He always does, but he wants you to be honest with him. He really does. He, he wants you to be honest with your emotions because that, in a sense, is an act of worship in itself. We think, oh, at worship, we think what we just did, well, that's worship. I tell you, some of the deepest points of worship in your life are those when you're broken and in your despair, and all you can do is throw yourself at the mercy of God and weep. That is powerful, undone worship and surrender, and it's beautiful. You just, you're just a puddle, a puddle before God. I mean, if you ever, you know, you're depressed, and you ever have to fr fr vent your frustrations or your fear or whatever it is before God, your resentfulness, your, you know, life sucks, this is terrible, God, I don't know what's, I can't stand this anymore. This is what Hannah was doing. So she brought her complaint before him. And that was a focus on him in, in desperation, and that's worship. And that's where you start. You tell God exactly how you feel. Year by year, they would go to the temple. Year by year, they would keep coming. She kept coming, and she kept bowing before God. In her defeat, in her probably at times self-pity she didn't hold back in her frustration 
she expressed those emotions, and she didn't hold it in. I, I, um, I think there's something here about being honest with God that is so important. Uh, you know, God, I'm really not happy about this. I'm hurting. And I feel like you're not even for me. I mean, that's, that's pretty honest. Uh, but let me tell you a secret. God can handle your emotions. He can do it. He, and the reason why is because he gave those to you. He gave you those emotions. You know, the only reason why you have feelings is because you have emotions because you're created in the image of God, and that sets you apart from the animals. And, and God is an emotional God, and he created you in his image, and therefore you have emotions to express. And that's normal. When you come to him and, and you're undone, he can handle it. I think sometimes when we grow up in settings where we weren't allowed to express emotions or emotions were so extreme, nobody could handle it. It was all dysfunctional. How does that play into our relationship with God? Are we afraid to express our emotions? Because, I don't know, okay, is that okay? Growing up, we couldn't do that. Or, man, I'm, I saw some crazy stuff growing up. I don't know. Well, Hannah's throwing herself at the mercy of God, and she's emotional. And you need to understand that that's okay. God can handle it. Raw honesty. The right response. You know, the right response to loss and tragedy and disappointment is not to grin and bear it. It's to be real. Not to put on a happy face. Everything's okay. What good is that? When you come up to God, I think... Uh, you know, he doesn't want your platitudes. And what I mean platitudes is what I feel like I ought to say in prayer to God. He wants honesty in your struggle. God, I'm frustrated. I'm hurting. This is where I'm at. I don't know what to do with it, God. I, I don't know. You know, if you've been a parent for any length of time, um, you probably know what I'm talking about. If not, you'll probably run into this. But you may have come into a time when one of your children questioned your judgments. You ever had that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now, your kids aren't going to doubt that you love them and that you've been around longer than them. I mean, we've all experienced more than our kids. But there may be sometimes, Dad, where your son or daughter comes to you and says, you know, Dad, I don't think that's right. I would rather have that kind of honest pushback than them just stuffing it. I really would. Those kind of honest conversations are going to be okay. We shouldn't be intimidated by that. Because God isn't. God wants us to come to him and he wants us to say, God, I can't stuff this, man. I don't know who else to go to, but I don't think this is right. And I'm not sure. I'm kind of questioning you, God. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm just, I got to throw myself at you and be honest. And God's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. I, I think it can be healthy. Lamentation says this, 2.19. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. That's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, writing that. And basically, he's saying, just spill your guts, guys. Just spill your guts. Be honest. That's the best policy. Well, the end of the story, Hannah, is really good. This prophet emerges. He can, God answers her prayer in the midst of all this. She told, tells him exactly how she feels. She's honest. She never stopped trusting God. She never stopped leaning into God even though she didn't understand what was going on, had a lot of doubts. Now, the Bible gives a lot of examples of godly people that express their frustration to God. One, again, was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. 
I mean, if you read through all his stuff, Lamentations and everything, you're kind of going, I mean, at times he was doing stuff like this almost, like, God, have you deceived me? I don't know if I can trust you. What's going on here? I, I don't get this. I mean, he was really honest. He says, God, I think I'm mad. Maybe even mad at you. Huh? But, you know, I mean, he was really something. You know, there's a woman named Naomi. We preached about that a while back. But things didn't go well for her. And you know what she said? She says, call me bitter because God has made my life bitter. Boy, she's accusing God. I mean, these people are just getting real. It's just out there. And then David, boy, we're going to talk about him next week. You're talking about a guy who had ups and downs all through life. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he was like, God, I've taken the worst from you. I don't know where I'm going to go from here, man. I'm kind of fed up. I've had it. And God says, you're a man after my own heart. Amazing these relationships, they're so real, so raw with God, so honest, so uh, up and down, but they kept leaning into God. Yeah, they were frustrated. Yeah, they had doubts. Some of them accused God, but they just, they just, they didn't stop leaning into God. Hannah never stopped trusting. Year after year, she'd come to the same place with the same request. Here was a guy in the Bible named Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Did I say it? Yeah. Uh, he wrote a little, short little book in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, three chapters. And you could summarize it basically like this. Why? Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Why, why, why? Why, God? Uh, you know, if you've ever had this why now, why me, why God questions, then go read Habakkuk. It, it'd probably help you. He's, what, happened, what he saw in his day was his nation was being overrun by terrorists. I mean, does that sound familiar? I mean, that's, uh, he, there was devastation in the country. It was brutal. They were destroying the nation right in front of his eyes. And Habakkuk says, he's like, he's upset about it. He complains to God. He says, God, I don't know what's going on down here. This is bad. Why? You know, David went through, again, some really tough uh, seasons. And in Psalms 116.10, he said something very interesting. We'll put it up here. In his despair, he said this. I believe. Therefore, I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. Does that sound like a contradiction? Like, David, what are you doing? You believe, and now you're crushed. You believe, but you're in despair. You believe, but you're afflicted. What? Uh, I wonder. I mean, it's like David says, I believe God, therefore, I'm going to complain. <laughs> you ever wonder who, who an atheist complains to? I guess themselves. You idiot. I mean, hey, at least if you complain to God, you're acknowledging God's there. God, you have, there's a God, right? I tell you, being an atheist ain't all it's cracked up to be. They got nowhere to go. Now, the question, uh, what frustrations have you never talked about? What, what frustrations have you never brought to God? Less, much less a friend, maybe about your marriage or family or relationships or job or whatever you're dealing with? You got to talk to God about it. He can handle it. That's the road to come back. When you're stretched thin, you tell God exactly how you feel. Now, here's the next one. Oh, boy, I'm running out of time. This won't take long. Refuse to become bitter. These are two big things. Don't become bitter. It says that Hannah was uh, in bitterness of soul. It is though she was on the precipice of tipping even into this pit of bitterness. It's like she was 
teetering. You know, you kind of get this picture. She could go either way. I mean, she's agonizing and laboring under this thing, right? And, and like she's trying to resist bitterness, trying to believe God, but at the same time, she's really hurting, depressed and angry and frustrated. Whatever happens, don't let all that turn into resentment or bitterness. Because what bitterness is, bitterness is basically saying is, I don't trust you, God. Bitterness stops leaning into God, and at some point, it turns and leans the other direction. It says, all right, God, I'll show you. I'll do this myself. I don't need you anymore. Boy, have anybody ever been tempted to say that? Or has anybody ever said that or done that? Even in your heart, you've just kind of hardened up and said, mm, uh, that's it. You know, and, and it happens. It can happen so easy. I don't see the big picture. You know, the flames are coming up around my life. They're hit me from every side. God, why is this happening to me? You know, and bitterness says, really, God, I don't understand what's going on. I'm mad and I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm resentful. And that's like poison. Job has a great example of this because he did not get bitter. He was able to see the big picture. And when he lost everything, uh, he never got bitter towards God. He, it, he, somehow he knew that no matter how bad things got, he, God was still in control. Job 1, 21, 22. Let's read this. It says, this is Job. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not charge God with wrong. He says, I came into this world with nothing, I'm leaving with nothing. You know, I, I can attest to that. I was there when both my daughters were born. They didn't bring anything into the world. They didn't bring, you know, a portfolio. Um, they didn't bring toys, a, a basketball, a curling iron, or lip gloss. None of that came with them. They just came in naked, and they were just like, Aah! they just came in screaming, crying, Aah! you know, fist clenched and ready to fight. They were just ready. Now, I've done a lot of funerals and celebrations of lives and graveside services, and I'll tell you what I've never seen at a graveside is a U-Haul. Never have. So, you come into this world with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. The only thing you're taking to heaven is you and your character. And speaking of Job, as you read through this and you study the book of Job, you know what the main question of Job is? Will you love God? Will you trust God no matter what happens? That's really it. Why? That's a good question. Story. Why do you worship God? Why do you love God? Is it only when things are good? Or do you love God and serve God no matter what happens? Because that's the real test. That's the ultimate test of our faith. Will you worship God even though everything's going wrong in your life? You see, this, you're not promised a perfect life. This is earth. It's not heaven. This is a messed up place. It's full of sin. It's rocked by sin, affected, infected by sin, infested by sin, and a planet that's infested by demons. It's, a, it's got problems. It's spinning on its axis, and God's hand is on it, just keeping it. And so our faith hmm, will be tested. Although if your faith is not tested, if it's untested faith, then it's not faith right? I mean, for it to be faith, it has to be tested. There has to be a test on it. That's why we're talking, there's a stretch in the faith for it to become faith. You're in the stretch. And a lot of times, life happens. Um, most of the time, we don't get an explanation, maybe never will. 
get an explanation. I've said it before that this life leaves you with more questions than answers. It just does. And bad things happen. You may not know why. You don't know the big picture, but you trust God in the midst of it all. Life is not good. Circumstances are not always good. People are not always good. But God is always good. That's why we can land on him and lean into him. He's always good. And when I'm in the presence of God, when I'm in eternity one day, everything will make sense. Until then, my brain isn't big enough to comprehend and grasp the whole thing and understand. So how do you trust God when your heart's breaking or when you're in that stretch, right? When, 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 uh, how do you look to God when your eyes are full of tears and everything is blurred? What do you do? Well, the antidote to bitterness is, is not just, I'm not going to be bitter, grit my teeth and bear it. The antidote to bitterness, again, is worship. It's praise. It's leaning into God and focusing on God. That's what Hannah was doing. She kept, she kept herself in that place. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, okay, this is my first time here. I don't know about all this stuff. Or maybe first time in church. I don't know. But there's some things that you need to understand that we as believers here, as followers of Jesus, um, that we're that we understand and believe and that we're thankful for. And I'll list a few. God's never going to stop loving me. That's a big deal. God has a plan for my life. He's got a plan for your life. God cares about the details of my life. He cares about the details of your life. God is in control of everything, even when I don't understand it. And God's going to protect me. Nothing can ever pluck me from his hand. Nobody, nothing can ever take Jesus from me or you. That's, that's truth. God is here. He's near. He's powerful. He cares. He changes things. He has a plan and a purpose, and he'll use everything for good. Now, earlier, I mentioned this guy, Habakkuk, right? This is what he said when things looked irreversible in verse 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, there's no fruit on the vines, the labor of the olive may fail. It says the fields, there's yielding no food, food. The flocks might be cut off from the fold. There's no herd in the stalls. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Through it all, he continued to honor and worship God. The question is, what are you bitter about today? What, what is some bitterness that maybe you've allowed to take root in your life? Because as I said earlier, bitterness is poison and it destroys It'll eat you alive. It's like a cancer. It takes over your life and it hurts you more than it does the person that you're bitter at. The problem with bitterness is it doesn't hurt anybody else. It only hurts you. You can be bitter at the person you're bitter at and they won't even know it. They could be out celebrating, you know, having a party, eating steak, enjoying life, and, and you're just getting destroyed. Isn't that crazy how that works? All the worship team come out. Look, if you want breakthrough, when you're being stretched thin, when you feel like it's impassable, you tell God exactly how you feel and you resist bitterness. There's a couple things in this imperfect world. Everything has been broken by sin. We know that. There's always going to be plenty of disappointments in life to become bitter about. That's just going to happen. That's why Jesus said, don't be surprised by that stuff. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. In other words, you're going to have trials. You're going to get burned by stuff. The second thing you've got to remember is bitterness and happiness are choices. 
Every moment of your life, you can either choose to be bitter or happy. If you choose to be bitter, then you can't be happy at the same time because you can't have both in your heart and your mind. You have to choose one or the other. So what do we want, happiness or bitterness? Hannah, at that point, she kept leaning into God. It says that with all of her soul, bitterness of soul, she prayed to the Lord in anguish. She made a vow to the Lord. You know what she did to keep from bitterness of happening? She exercised her faith in worship. She looked to the future. She says, God, give me a son. I'll dedicate him to you. And she makes a vow. That's a stance of faith. She didn't stop leaning into God and lean the opposite direction in despair. She said, nope, I'm going to stay the course. And you know what? She cast off bitterness and embraced hope and faith for her future. And God gave her a son, and she gave birth to Samuel. And Samuel was the greatest judge and prophet next to Moses. He anointed kings. He heard from God at a young age. He led Israel back to the Lord. He was a man, as it says in the scriptures, in which nothing evil could be found in him. That is from the scriptures. He is a man of impeccable integrity and character. And to this day, Samuel is highly honored and looked up to. Why was this great man born? Because he was born from a great woman named Hannah. A great woman who in the middle of the stretch told God exactly how she felt, kept leaning into God, refused bitterness. And, and God, through all of that, out of barrenness, birthed this incredible man of God. What a gift. What a gift to the world. What a gift that we get to glean from. Hannah's the gift. She's the one who dug her heels in, would not relent. She's the one who stayed the course. She's the one who exercised this incredible act of worship and surrender when she's being stretched. Have you ever, are you in that place where you just feel like you're just stretched like a rubber band? It's about ready to break. But it's in that stretch that God is doing all of this. And we got to respond correctly because you know what? When you get through that stretch, and God takes you to a new place in him, and a miracle is birthed, and something happens out of that, then around the next quarter, there may be coming another stretch. But it's in that stretch, it's in that place where you're just maxed, is where God does all this work. You just keep leaning into him. Don't stop leaning into God. He's the only place you can truly go. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we just take a moment and stand before the Lord? You know you're standing before God right now. You're standing before his presence. I mean, though, that's a holy thing. You know that you have God's attention right now? You just stand before him and look to him. You got his attention. Can we just, wherever you're at, just come before the Lord. Lord Jesus. Lord, I might be in that place where I am being stretched. I am in the middle of the stretch. It seems impassable. My life seems to have taken on a sense of barrenness. And yes, Lord, I have despaired at times. I have doubted. I have complained. 
But Lord, I say this day, I will not stop trusting in you. I will keep leaning into you. I got nowhere else to go. And I know you're hearing my heart clearly today, but God, I love you. My allegiance is in you. I gladly bow before you. And I pray, God, through all of this that's going on in my life, Lord, I'm believing, and I'm, by faith, I'm believing for the miracle birth. That miracle, that resurrection power, that life to emerge out of this, Jesus. And I'm not going to turn away, and I refuse bitterness. As a matter of fact, if anybody here has allowed that root of bitterness to take root, just right now, just say, bitterness, I renounce you. I loose bitterness from my soul. Get out of my life. I'll have nothing to do with you. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for leaning in the opposite direction. I will not live in bitterness. I loose that from my soul. And right now, I bind the love of God, the grace of God, the life of God to me. I will be forgiving. I will walk in love, and I will trust. I will trust. Jesus, I, I take this place of surrender right now. I'm trusting you, God, for the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.